Good morning, Thrive Church, and Merry Christmas. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Awesome. Uh, hopefully you've got all your gifts wrapped and you're ready. If you're not, then you're going to have a late night tonight. Um, I'm glad you guys have joined us today, physically and online, as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus with millions upon millions of other believers around the world. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1. I want to open up with this, and yes, it does tie into today's message. What is the movie that you can remember that had the most exciting plot twist ever? Where when it happened, you're like, I never saw that coming. Like literally, I've, I could not expected that to happen. I was thinking about that this week, like through the movies in my mind that that happened. And one came to mind, I'll, I'll date myself here, I'll age myself, the movie The Sixth Sense. And Bruce Willis, who's our favorite Christmas movie actor ever, <laughs> Die Hard is a Christmas movie, thank you. It's filmed during Christmas time. He is a counselor. And he's working with a young boy, and this young boy tells him, he says, you remember this, this statement? I can see dead people. Right? He says that, to, he's like, I see ghosts, I talk to them. And so Bruce Willis is trying to help the kid, he's working with him. And if you haven't seen the movie, then you've, got, you've had like 20-something years to see it, so I'm going to spoil it for you. Um, at the very end of the movie, you find out that the whole time Bruce Willis was a ghost, and he didn't know it. And he finally figures that out and realizes the little boy can see ghosts, and he's a ghost. And I was like, no, my mind was blown. And for a very small portion of you in here, probably one of the greatest plot twists ever was whenever Kylo Ren was attacking the rebels and old Luke Skywalker, the Jedi, shows up to fight Kylo Ren. You're like, yeah, master and Padawan going at it. And he just never lets Kylo Ren hit him. He just keeps dodging and dodging like, come on, Luke, fight. And then you realize like halfway through the battle, Luke's not there. That's not Luke. And then all of a sudden you see that he's not there, that he's just projecting himself as the greatest Jedi power we had seen. I was like, yes, and there's something I never expected. Now, why would I open up with that on Christmas as we celebrate Advent? Because the birth of Jesus, Advent, was the greatest plot twist in human history. No one expected it to be this way. We have this expectation of Christmas. I mean, we've, we've, for years, maybe you've celebrated, you've seen the manger and the nativity scene. Maybe you even, like me, participated in a little cute pageant and you walked up and the kids, you know, read the scriptures and you dressed, you know, in bathrobes and pretended to be shepherds, right? Use my grandma's cane for the shepherd cane. And so we're used to that. But when you look at Advent, when you look at the Christmas narrative, it was the most unexpected event in human history to that point. And what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at also a very unexpected passage for Advent. Probably something you would never visit during a Christmas season because we have Matthew's gospel and we have Luke's gospel that talk about shepherds and angels and, you know, and them singing and the glory and Mary and Joseph and all the events surrounding it. But I want to open up today to you John's gospel. One of the closest followers of Jesus. He called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. And John shares with us a whole different perspective. Why is that? He was the oldest living apostle. Matthew and Mark had written their gospels and it was an oral tradition and they were sharing. And he knew what they had said. He knew what they were writing. He knew what was circulating. And John, as an old man, decided to give believers a different perspective from someone who followed him. And John opens up not with shepherds and angels and not with the birth of Jesus, but he opens up with in the beginning. 
Look at John chapter one, verse one. It says that in the beginning, the word already existed. That's Jesus, the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. That's Jesus. And watch this. But the world did not recognize him. Pay attention to verse 10. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. We'll talk about why. He came to his own people and they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. This is the Christmas narrative according to John in one verse. No shepherds, no angels, no Mary, no Joseph. Simply the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The word became flesh. The word became human. I mean, God himself came down in the form of a baby to come save the world from their sins. Now we know that. And we, and we celebrate this every Christmas that they came and the birth and all that. But we don't realize something very important. The hope of Messiah was not our hope. It was a Jewish hope for thousands of years. The Jews had waited and believed for Messiah to come. They waited and believed for this Messiah to come and, and not save them from their sins. They didn't need to be saved from their sins, they thought. We're Jews, we're born Jews. We're, we're God's chosen people. We don't need to be saved from sins. What we need is a political deliverer, a military deliverer who will come in and deliver us. Because for years, they had suffered the oppression of Babylon and Assyria and Persia and Greece. And then finally, the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago had its thumb all over Israel. And they were awaiting Messiah to rise up and come and crush the Roman Empire. They would quote the scriptures from Isaiah and Zechariah and all the restorative uh, you know, prophetic prophets that would say that Messiah is coming to do this and do that. And they were waiting for him. Don't you understand there's something very important? They never expected Messiah to come like we celebrate. It took them by surprise. They expected Messiah to come from a rich family, to have military rule, to be seen as a king, to stand up to Herod and to Caesar and to destroy Rome. They didn't expect the Messiah to be born of a poor family, be born of a virgin, and all the controversy that surrounded that. They didn't expect Messiah to come and heal the sick and preach the gospel to the poor. They didn't expect Messiah to come and challenge their Jewish religious system. They didn't expect any of that. And so for us, Advent is very conventional and expected. It was not expected for them. That's why John 1.10, he says, for he came to his own and they didn't even recognize him. They rejected him. 
because they didn't expect Messiah to look that way or to come that way or to do what he did. And they never expected Messiah to die on a cross and rise again on the third day to save them from their sins. And as we look at Advent, you look at the manger and the scene, the Mary and the Joseph, and you see the coming of Christ, Advent. When you look at that, you have to understand something very important about Advent. Advent is accepting the unexpected. The people who followed Jesus, who believed upon Jesus, accepted the unexpected. They, just did, they, they said, you know what, this is very unexpected, and I am going to accept it. And for our lives, it's super important. Because just like the Israelites were praying for years, awaiting their deliverer, awaiting God to show up, the word become flesh, you're praying for things in your life, aren't you? During Christmas, there's some heavy things on your heart. There's things you want to see in 2024, and I don't know if it's for you, it's to finally break the addiction, it's to see the child come back to Christ. I don't know if it's to, to get the job opportunity or promotion. I don't know if it's you're suffering with mental health or something you're dealing with, or maybe it's physical and you're ready to get in the best shape of your life. Maybe it's the relationship to have a spark again. I don't know what you are praying for, but the same way you're awaiting God to show up and move and deliver, the word become flesh. But here's what you have to realize about that. I want you to write this down. This is super important. Is that Advent is the expected in an unexpected way. That's what it is. They were expecting Messiah to come, but in a very unexpected way did it happen. As I said before, they didn't expect Mary and Joseph and the poor family to be born in a stable and, and, and God, to, God showed up and shared with shepherds. Totally contrary to what the Jews expected. Shepherds were dirty people to them. They couldn't even go into the temple and worship, but angels showed up to shepherds. Wouldn't he have showed up to the chief priests and rabbis to announce the birth of Messiah and King? But God shows up to shepherds who couldn't even go into the temple. And that's what Advent is. And we look at Advent, I want to, to, to flip the script for you and help you understand something very important about our faith. That when you're following Jesus and you're praying for things, you're wanting God to move and work in your life, if you're not looking for the unexpected and open to the unexpected, then you'll do the same thing they did to Jesus. You won't recognize it and you, and you will reject it. And I don't want you to do that because you're praying for things and God wants to answer your prayers. But here's the problem we get into with our prayers. We often pre-play what we pray. I shared this before with you. It's a very common concept I like to share. We often pre-play what we pray. What does that mean? That means that in our minds, we create these future fantasies of what life should look like. That it should go this way. And this is the job that I want, the career that I want. This is how many years I should live. We have this entitlement mentality, and so we go in and we pray these exact things, and we want God to show up and just answer that prayer. Do it that way. I've got it figured out, God. I know exactly what I need, and this is the way it should happen. And you know what happens when it, when it doesn't happen that way? We then get discouraged in our faith, and we'll say, God let me down. God didn't come through for me. God failed me. God failed your future fantasy of what you thought should happen. He didn't never fail you. And you have to understand that when God shows up, just like he did for Israel in the form of Messiah, God's gonna show up in unexpected ways for you. And my fear is this, I want you to write this down, because if we get tunnel vision and what we expect, then we won't have room to accept. 
If you get tunnel vision of what you expect, it should be this way and just like this and it all plays out, then you won't have room to accept what God is doing when he's trying to move in your life. When he enters stage left, I always enter stage right. God enters stage left. And in our lives, we have to realize that yes, God wants to use us and God wants to move and God wants to do all those things in our life that we desire to have life and life more abundantly. But he, when he does it, it never looks like we planned. People say, what's your five-year vision? I follow Jesus. Don't tell me about it. Jesus will flip your world upside down in one year. Write your plans in pencil, not in pen. Have we not learned that yet, right? But we get tunneled vision, and that's what Israel did. Military king, born of a rich family, destroy Rome, this is it. And then they crucified him when God sent him. How many times have we crucified the very thing God sends to us in our life because it doesn't look like we expected it? You know, for me, and you may not know this, maybe you're newer here, or maybe you've been with us on the whole journey of 11 years, but Thrive Church has not always been this way, and it's not been Thrive Church. My story started when I planted a church in South Florida in 2008. For six years, I've been praying to go to South Florida to plant a church from scratch, start one down there. I would go visit there during the holidays. Brian and Isabel Seymour, who are on staff, would go visit down there too and walk with me and pray and believe. And I knew I was gonna buy a burial plot there. I was gonna spend the rest of my life planting a church in South Florida. I just knew it. Prayed it, I believed it, God had told me. And then in 2011, God really laid on my heart. It was heavy. I have mentors who speak in my life that God said, I'm shifting you, you're not called to be here. I'm thinking, what? And as I prayed and fasted and, and, and called my mentors, they said, yeah, uh, it seems like God's moving you. I had no idea where I was gonna go. Now, planting that church, I started with two people. I had no money. The church had no money. We didn't even have a building. We had nothing. Like when I said we had nothing, we had nothing. I had a five-string broken guitar. And we built that church. We met on Sunday nights at another church. We couldn't afford a facility. And we built that church to 75 people, man. Had some, yeah, we had a full worship tent. I mean, it was great. And then God said, I'm calling you out. I said, great, God, I'm excited, because here's what I was thinking. I have been dirt poor, sleeping on an air mattress now for three years. God's gonna send me to a church with people and staff, and actually, I would actually get paid to actually do what God's called me to do. And that's what I was looking for. I was applying to all these positions everywhere across the USA, and guess what happened? None of them wanted me, and I have a doctorate. I'm thinking, God, what is this? And then out of the blue one night, I get a call from my 804 number. I thought, that's, that's one of the churches I applied to. It has to be. And it wasn't. It was a dear friend who oversaw a network of churches, and he said, and he passed away last year. He said, he said, hey, Kevin, I see that you're transitioning. I have an opportunity for you. I was like, yeah, tell me what it is. He said, we have a church that's going to shut the doors in a few months. It's got 20 older people left. And I thought it was a joke. I was like, are you serious? You want me to come and do that? You re Really? I got the phone, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I would never. That's, that's ridiculous. And the Lord just wouldn't let it go, wouldn't let it go. And guys, the long story short is that I, I'm here. I never expected my 5, 20, 25, 30, 45, you're ever to be in Virginia. But if I would have got tunneled vision, oh, no, I want to, no, I have suffered long enough in church planting. I will find them. I would never would have been here. This is the most unexpected thing that had ever happened to me in ministry. And it turned out to be the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in ministry. And so here's what I want you to understand. Stop just looking for your prayers to be answered. I didn't say stop looking for your prayers to be answered. Tune in. Stop just looking for that. Because many of us want God just to, to do a heavenly checklist for us. 
We need a raise of this much. We need this. We need that. We need this. We need that. We need this. Thank you, God. I'll get back with you next week. And granted, I do the same thing. I turn prayer into a heavenly checklist. Stop just looking for your prayers to be answered and start looking for God to show up in an unexpected way. For Messiah to show up in a manger, to be born in a stable. Start looking for that in your life. And when you start looking for God to show up in an unexpected way, you'll stop just looking for your prayers to be answered. You'll start looking for God to move and work in every situation of your life. See, many of us look at 2024 and think, it's going to be my year. Actually, like, I, th- I think 2028 is going to be my year. I'm wait- waiting for it, right? I can feel it. But every year, if you're told by, by a pastor or a preacher or somebody on social media, 2024 is your year of breakthrough. It's your year of abundance and blessing. Just turn it off. Because here's what I can tell you about 2024. It's going to be your challenges, crisis, of unexpected things that you just did not pencil into your five-year plan. But it's in those things where God wants to move and work and do something in your life he could not have done without those challenges. And many times we're just trying to pray away challenges, pray away obstacles, instead of God shaping us in those. Instead of understanding, I'm just not looking for my prayers to be answered. I'm I'm looking for God to show up in my life in an amazing way. And that may be this. Think about this. People who are really good and, and are serious about financial peace, university, and debt, you know the story of them? They got out of debt. They were in a lot of debt. And they're serious about it. See, your greatest misery can be turned into your greatest ministry if you'll just let God show up stage left in your life in an unexpected way. But you have to be willing to accept that and stop rejecting it and looking for God to show up in this little box. Think about the person who started Grief Share. There's a great group called Grief Share. If you struggle with grief, find a Grief Share group. What do I find one? It's a thing called Google. It's amazing. If you ask me, I'm going to go to Google. I might just send you a Google leak to be facetious. I'm joking. But the person who started Grief Share wasn't like, I think this year, I think I'll just start a group on Grief Share. No, they went through pain of grief. And out of that misery was birthed their greatest ministry. And you have to realize that in those challenges, in those things that you face, God can create that for you. But you can't just have a conventional, God, show up and answer my prayers my way. And if you don't, I'll accuse you of letting me down because I feel entitled for you to do exactly the way that I want. And start looking for God to show up in an unexpected way. Matter of fact, Paul writes to the church at Rome. And he writes this here. It's great. He says in Romans 8, 26, I love this. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is your weakness? The Holy Spirit wants to help you. For example, and I love this, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. You're like, yes, I do. I submitted my prayer request to the prayer team. I know exactly what I need. How dare God? And what God's saying is, you see the surface of the iceberg. God sees underneath what's really needed. The problem is you're praying for God to fix your marriage What you need is God to heal your trauma from your childhood as you keep making your spouse pay for what somebody did to you when you were 10 years old. I am preaching on Christmas Eve way better than you guys are amening. (laughs) God fixed my spouse. God's saying, I gotta heal your heart first. See, you only see the tip when God sees the underneath, the the 90% underneath the surface. He says this, but here's the encouraging part, but the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you you're praying for one thing, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 dog, I, I, I know what you need. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. 
And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And then verse 28 brings in the consolation. For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Don't just look for God to answer your prayers. Look for God to show up. And no matter what it's looking like in your life, God is working and moving and it may be in an unexpected way. So what can we learn from Advent and from Israel? There's four things I wanna share with you. What can we learn as we pray, as we want God to move and show up? The first thing we're gonna do is you're gonna pray the scriptures. What are you gonna do? You're gonna pray the scriptures. What do you mean by that? Okay, for instance, in the book of Proverbs, there's 31 Proverbs, 31 chapters. Usually there's 30, 31 days in a month. You know what I do? Each day I read one proverb a day. A proverb a day will keep ignorance away because Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And what I do with that is actually pray that Proverbs. I pray, go through and pray it. Right, so it says the lazy man won't even take what he roasted in hunting. God, help me not to be lazy, but help me take advantage of every opportunity that you've given me in my life. That's a simple prayer, right? A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. God, God, help me to be prudent and wise. Help me, God, to foresee problems and then make plans for them instead of ignoring them and being punished for it. Right, so you pray the scriptures. That's what Israel did. Israel prayed the Old Testament, which is our, they prayed the Torah. They prayed Isaiah. They were waiting for Messiah. You should pray the scriptures. The second thing you're gonna pray for is pray for your need. Israel, according to what they knew, they knew they needed a Messiah, just didn't know what the Messiah should be like. Pray your need. You're saying, but Kevin, why should I pray my need if God already knows it? If God knows what I need, why should I ask him? It's a great question. In the same way, when I hand my son a water bottle, and then about three to five seconds later, on average, I hear, Dad, can you help me? I know what he already needs. And I'm, yes, I can. I get his water bottle, I stick my hand back there and give it right back to him. Why? It shows he trusts me for him to come to me. Your heavenly father wants to know your needs. Yeah, but there's so many, there's world hunger and people have it so much worse. I feel ashamed of praying for the little things in my life. Don't you ever do that. Your heavenly father cares for you. He cares for every little stinking detail in your life. And he wants to answer those prayers. He wants you to say, dad, help. So you can say, I thought you'd never ask. So he can move in your situation. So you're gonna pray the scriptures. You're gonna pray your need. And the third thing you're gonna do is the hardest thing and don't give me an evil eye. You're gonna wait on the Lord. I gotta wait more? Yes, you have to wait more. That's what Israel did, waiting of Messiah. And we have to wait on the Lord because he has perfect timing in the way he wants. Jesus came at the perfect time for salvation at the exact time God sent him. In the same way, God is gonna send what you need at the exact time, but here's what you have to do finally, is watch for the unexpected. Don't just wait on the Lord, but watch for the unexpected. And that crisis you have, that trial you have, that challenge you have, that may be the very way God's gonna answer your prayer. You're thinking, really, God's gonna ask my prayer with trouble? Yes. Because God will use your enemies to get you to a place that you could never get by yourself in comfort. And you have to watch for the unexpected. You know, I prayed and I asked God in my life, in 2022, I said, God, 
I want a fire for you like I've never had before. I remember, Lord, at 19, 20 years old, I gave my life to you, and I just loved the scriptures. I loved to read. I could hear your voice. I just walked with you. And, and, and it was when I got in ministry, I began just to lose my passion for Jesus because a lot of times in this, and y'all don't do this, right? So, like, y'all good. But, but the, the, the churches I pastored before complain and argue all the time. I had a pastor text me this morning early. He had a great time for his Christmas services, and he said, I spent all night last night with people trashing me, texting me. Tell me how terrible my wife and I are. And over years, what happened to me through the one day, I lost my fire for Jesus. Now, did I preach to you? I preached, oh yeah. But lost my fire. And I said, God, I want that fire again. I prayed, right? I had a need. And I prayed scriptures. I said, Lord, I'm coming back to my first love again. Prayed the scriptures there as he spoke to you know, the church in Revelation about returning to your first love. I prayed that. And, and then I waited on God. And the way God answered my prayer wasn't one day he struck me with a lightning bolt and I just got fired for God. He sent me through the worst trial of my life. 2023 was the worst year I've ever experienced. I've lost my mom and I've lost my dad and I preached both their funerals and never missed a church service. 2023 was horrible. I had to go through a divorce I never planned for to be betrayed by people close to me, that I'd never in my life experienced the, the evil and deception. And the, the, I mean, it was, guys, levels of evil I had never seen before from Christians. It was horrible. Don't pity me, don't you say all. Because can I tell you something out of that? God stoked the fire inside of me. I learned to trust him in a way I never had before. I learned to dig into the scriptures and seek God when it was tough. I learned to hear his voice and be guided by it as I read the scriptures. I learned to know the Lord like I never had before. Amen. That was God entering stage left. I was thinking conventional. God said, no, 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 no. When I show up, it's gonna be unexpected, but it's gonna be powerful when I do. I want to encourage you the same thing is true for you. Have room to accept when God shows up and it looks like the form of a trial. And you're thinking, why am I going through this? Then think back, oh yeah, I prayed. I asked God to do this. I asked God to get rid of the addiction. Well, God sent you through a trial, right? I asked God to do this in my marriage and then God sent you through a trial. He will always show up in unexpected ways, unconventional ways. And that's what Advent is for us. Before we do the lighting of the candles and sing, can I pray for you guys before we do that? I wanna pray for you because some of you are going through things and are praying for things and you need to be ready when God enters stage left to not be like, I don't recognize that. You say, all right, I accept it. I see it. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we open our hearts up to you to show up in an unconventional way, to show up, Lord God, in a way that we didn't expect. May we receive it and be open to it and realize that you're always working together all those things to conform us to the image of your dear son. May we be open to it. In Christ's name we pray. And as we're praying today, church, I do wanna do this. And maybe you've come to church today and you thought you were just coming to church for Christmas service, but you know you wanna give your life and your heart to Jesus. You're ready for a change. You're ready and because you're tired of the life you're living. You're tired of the same thing over and over. You're tired of being without joy. You're tired of being sick and tired. And today is your day to receive the Savior. 
And if that's you, you say, man, I, I want to make that decision. I want you to pray this prayer after me to make this decision for Jesus. You say, God, I need Jesus. Today I surrender to Jesus. I make him my Lord. For I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I believe he's the son of God. Forgive me of all my sins. I turn away from my old life and walk in new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with everybody who made that decision today. Amen. What we're going to do now is something where we do the candle lighting, the Christmas Eve candlelight service. Why do we do that? Well, Advent is the coming of Messiah, and he came, and we celebrate that. So we light the candles in celebration that Christ came. But we also light the candle for another hope, that he will come again one day too. And that one day he will rule and reign with us on this earth. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth and a new body with no more sickness and no more tears and no more crying, no more pain. And we get to spend eternity with our creator. And our ushers are going to come forth. And what they're going to do is light the candles on the ends of each row. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to light your neighbor's candle. Why do you do that? Because hope is contagious. And we every day should be spurring each other on with the hope that God will move in your situation. But you know what? We have hope way beyond the grave. We have hope for eternity. And so light your neighbor's candle and we're going to sing at this time.